Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are seeking to conform us to the image of your Son. Father, thank you, Lord, for that, that wonderful process that is by your grace. But we know that sometimes it includes heartache and suffering. Help us, Lord, to, to go in your strength. And, Father, to remember that you have a plan. Father, we pray for those who are sick and afflicted. We think of Marlon. Continue to raise him up. We pray and give him patience. And as he waits upon you, we pray for Tom, our Lord, tonight, and Chris. Just pray that you would bring healing. Father, that he guide the doctor's hands in the surgery that is done, the repairing of the face. And, uh, Father, we just pray that you would encourage him, give him pain relief. And, Father, that he would continue... Uh, to find his strength in you as we come around him with love. So we commit that dear family to you. Now, Lord, we ask your blessing upon the word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going back into our study here tonight uh, in First Peter, the book of First Peter. We are continuing our series. Our series is entitled alien life and as you remember the whole premise is that peter is reminding us as believers and especially suffering believers because he was trying to send a message to those that were being persecuted in the church and scattered abroad that we are aliens in this life that we don't belong here that, that we must understand our citizenship is in heaven. So whatever's happening down here, uh, this is not our home. And, and therefore, we have an enemy, the enemy of the world. Satan is after us, after the body of Christ. And he, 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 he will use his schemes to try and get us uh, to doubt God and, 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 and to feel discouraged and to kind of throw in the towel. So that Peter is trying to lift up and encourage the suffering saint and the uh, and, and those that that are s- scattered abroad, and so that's why we, he, he uses the word foreigners or sojourners, but it really means the word alien. And uh, we come to chapter three again. We're in chapter three, and we're going to look at a few verses uh, <clears throat> here. We're going to look at the last few verses of the chapter. Verses 18 to 22. 18 to 22. Now, as you look at this, thank you, honey. As you look at this passage, it may be familiar to some of you, those of you who've studied it before. And as you'll be, as we go through it, you'll remember ah, this is one of those passages that is a very difficult to interpret. It's one of those ones that has been debated for centuries. That the scholars have gone back and forth. In fact, there are nine different <clears throat> there are nine different Greek words that the scholars have argued over. One scholar thinks it means this Another scholar thinks it means that. And we are going to try and, and share, and I'm going to share what, what I see from my perspective. This is what I believe uh, in my interpretation of this passage. 
Yours may be different. Okay, and so uh, I'm just sharing uh, what what uh, what I've seen this passage to mean, and uh, I I stand with a lot of uh, tremendous uh, Bible teachers and uh, Bible scholars, uh, good solid evangelical Bible teachers over the years, who have taken the same position on this. But let's begin because verse 18. Here again, he's, Peter's talking, writing to the suffering church. And so what is the best thing to do when you're having the trials? The first thing we should do, I think he, he does it here. He points to Jesus and what Jesus Christ did for us. So look with me. At verse 18, 1 Peter 3, 18. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. And if you have a King James Version... Uh, where it says, where I have translated made, but made alive in the spirit, you have the word quickened in the spirit. It means the same thing. It means brought, brought, back, brought from the dead and given life, eternal life. And so God has brought us that through his, in our spirits. He has uh, raised us up and given us eternal life. But Peter is laying out for the suffering saint here he's laying out the work of christ again the unique work of christ that was done on calvary and it's so easy to forget what our savior did for us that what his death on the cross truly meant for me you know we we just think uh sometimes i when we think of of the 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 gospel the plan of salvation and Jesus died to save me, and I'm saved, and I'm going to heaven. Praise the Lord. But so many times I can find myself not going deeper into what really Jesus did for me through his death on the cross. And Peter's trying to, get to, to summarize this uh, concerning the Lord's sacrifice. He's basically saying that Jesus Christ made the perfect sacrifice once for all. Once for all, so that the, uh, the just for the unjust. He was the just, we were the unjust. And there was a purpose in his sacrifice. In order that he might bring, to, bring us to God. That was the whole plan. And the Lord Jesus was desiring to bring us to the Father and that we'd be brought to God having our, and the only way that was possible was having been put to death in the flesh, our fleshly man and the old nature being put to death and then us being made alive in him. Peter's basically talking about the substitute uh, the substitutionary death of Christ. He died 
for me. The just for the unjust. He bore my shame. He bore my sorrows. He bore all my sin and the punishment that I deserved. And sometimes it's hard, I think, for us to really grasp the meaning of that, the sacrifice that Jesus was our substitute. And I, I heard it uh, uh, put this way, which is a, a, a great way to think about it, to really grasp uh, the, the meaning of this. <clears throat> Suppose uh, I, w- I went to my brother, and many of you know uh, my brother is battling stage four bladder cancer. And he, um, right now, thank the Lord, it's in remission. And he still, by the way, is, is, is staying where he is. Uh, he uh, still has his appetite. Uh, he says it's not like the chemo treatments. He he's now seems to be handling the immunotherapy treatments better. So uh, so he, he his levels haven't dropped down. So thank you for your prayers for him. But you know, suppose I came to Bevan and I said, Bevan, uh, they have I I have a way to make you well. And he would look at me and go, you do? I would say yes. What I'm going to do, hypothetically, okay, what I am going to do, if I were, if if it were possible, I would like to take all your cancer cells and replace them with mine. Every cell in my body I want to give you that are healthy and I will take all your cancer cells and I will take it in my body. How would you feel about that? Can you imagine how he would feel? And then, then you know, he would, be, he would be stunned. What a sacrifice that would be. But to go even further than that is what if I went to my worst, the person who hated me the most in this world. The one who despised me and would rather see me just die and has something against me and I and and they were dying of the cancer and I went to them and I offered that to them. What would they say? What would if someone came to me and and offered that basically spiritually speaking, you know, that gives us a picture of what the Savior did for us on the cross he took our place. In other words, he, like he took our, as if it were physical, the cancer cells, but he took the sin cells. And what did he do in, in taking our sin cells? He gave us his righteous cells, which are eternal. It's just a beautiful thought. And that's what uh, really he, here Peter is trying to, to uh, begin with. But then he now after he speaks of the sacrifice the Lord Jesus gave, we come to the next few verses. And uh, we're going to read these all together, okay? And then we're going to break it down. So verses 19 to 22, if you'd read along. Okay, after being made alive in the Spirit 
And this is talking about Christ, the once for all sacrifice, verse 19, in which also he, Jesus, went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. And corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers have been subjected to him. What a powerful statement by, by the Lord through Peter here. Now, if you have the King James Version, instead of the word proclamation, you have the word preached. Instead of the word patience, when the patience of God kept waiting, you have the word long-suffering. But here is that passage that has those many interpretations. People come to this passage, and it is, a, it is one of those what we call problem texts, where um, many times it, it, it just it, it creates problems. And, uh, and so many times doctrines have been created just from a verse or two out of the, out of the scriptures. And, and therefore, a whole doctrine is built upon that one verse. And uh, for, for instance, the Romans Catholics, the Roman Catholics, and I've mentioned this before in another passage, but the Roman Catholic Church has uh, sought to find verses to support the doctrine of purgatory. And so this passage is one that they've used, they've tried to use. And again, it's, it's a problem passage. But I, I love these. There's two simple rules that if, if you take these, uh, <clears throat> it really helps when it comes to passages like this. Number one, problem verses or any single passage should not be the basis for a new or otherwise unsupported doctrine. Let me say that again. Problem verses like this or any other single passage should not be the basis for a new or otherwise unsupported doctrine, which is not supported in the rest of Scripture. Remember, we always say we must interpret Scripture with Scripture. The second rule Never focus on the mysterious to neglect, to the neglect of the main teachings of a text. You know, there it is. Never focus on the mysterious to neglect the main teachings of a text. And that is so easy to do. So those are two basic rules to keep in mind as we look at a passage like this. Now, when we read this, there are some questions that rise up in in this passage. They're beginning in verse 19. 
in which he, Jesus, he also, after, after giving his sacrifice on the cross, he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. To the spirits now in prison. So the first question would be, where did Jesus go? Where did he go? Well, it says here, he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. So what place is that? Well, there is, uh, we, we, we see it, it this whole, um, this text uh, has found its way into the church through what is called the Apostles' Creed. Anybody remember the Apostles' Creed? Growing up, or going through uh, through um, your 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 upbringing, the Apostles' Creed. Remember what it said: "And he descended into what? He descended into hell." That's part of the Apostles' Creed. So the the thought process and the the interpretation is that Jesus went into fiery hell and went into to hell, that you know, in, into the lake of fire, hell, and and preach to spirits, and some people would take that to be the spirits of the dead, the you know the uh, the ones that uh, all the, the those that died and and perished and were were went to hell because of of their uh, their sin, but and and. When you again, when you consider the the word hell, in Hebrew the word hell is really the word Gehenna, the Hebrew word Gehenna. Okay, and we must understand the word Gehenna that means hell, but it's different than what Peter is talking about here when he says he went. Where did he go? Well. Let's, we can look at a, a few places. Look, turn to Acts with me. Acts chapter 2, verse 30. So let's go over to Acts 2. And I hope I don't lose you on this because uh, it, it causes us to really think. Acts chapter 2 and verse 30. And here the apostle Peter is preaching. Okay, he's preaching the gospel. And if you look at verse, uh, let, let's just pick it up here at, at, at verse 29. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriot David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants upon the throne, well, who would that be? The Messiah. The Messiah was going to come through King David, through the uh, tribe of Judah. So, you know, David was a prophet. If you look in the Psalms, he prophesied, and God gave him the promise. God prophesied to David that one of his descendants would one day sit upon the throne of David. Verse 31. He looked ahead... And spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, the Messiah. So he's talking about David here. Peter's talking about David when he writing in the Psalms that he was looking ahead to the resurrection of, of the Messiah. 
And then he makes the quote here. Uh, And look at the rest of verse 31. He was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. But there in verse 31, he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. Abandoned to Hades. The word Hades here, again, in the Old Testament, the word Hades is uh, interpreted as the place of the dead. And if you recall uh, in studies past that before Christ died and rose from the dead, God had the place of the dead we call Hades in the Old Testament. It's called Hades. And it, it, it involved two uh, chambers, so to speak. One was, was the uh, Sheol, the, where, where the... Um, the dead uh, who, who were without Christ or without God, the, it was a place of torment, but it was not the lake of fire in Revelation, the final place of judgment. The other place is what was called paradise. Do you remember what the thief on the cross said to Jesus? Remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And remember what Jesus said to him? Today you will be with me where? In paradise. And that takes us then to to see Jesus actually talk about this in Luke chapter 16. So if you'll go with me here and uh, look at Luke Chapter 16, verse 19. <clears throat> Luke 16, 19. Here's the story Jesus gave of the rich man and Lazarus. Okay? The rich man and Lazarus. And as we read this, this account, we are going to see the two compartments of the, the, the place of the dead. The place where those who had faith go, called paradise, and those who did not went to a place here called Hades. Okay. And so, verse 19. Now there was a certain rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, gaily living in splendor every day. And a certain poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate covered with sores and longing to be fed with crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now it came about that the poor man died and he was carried away by the angels to what? Abraham's bosom. That's another term for paradise in the Old Testament. It was called Abraham's bosom, where Abraham was and all the prophets. And the rich man also died and was buried. And where did he end up? Verse 23. And in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. And what did he see? 
And he saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. Or, in other words, he saw Lazarus next to Abraham. Lazarus next to Abraham. Now, there are two interpretations of this passage. Some would believe that this is just like all the other parables Jesus gave. I am of the persuasion, though, that Jesus was talking about a literal, real situation that took place. Why would this be different than all the other parables of the Lord Jesus? It's, it, and, and here again, we've got to be careful. What happens is we start, it's easy to, you know, well, because all the others were symbolic parables, were story, but they weren't real stories. They, they were, you know, t- uh, giving us a picture of, uh, of a spiritual truth. But the reason this is different than, than other parables that Jesus gave is that this is the only place where Jesus named names. He named Abraham. There's only one Abraham. And he named a man named Lazarus. Now, he never named the rich man. He just called him the rich man. But he named, gave him two names. The only place. That is why I agree with the scholars that believe that this, uh, Jesus was telling a literal story that truly happened. That there was a man, rich man and there was a man, poor man named Lazarus and they both died. And so he, Jesus is, is sharing this. Uh, and, and so the rich man is in what we call the Hades, Okay. And Abraham and Lazarus are up in paradise. But what is unique about this? They can see each other. They can see one another. And why or how, we don't understand all that. But God allowed the place of the dead because they, 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 there was, they were still in a uh, close enough proximity, I guess, that God allowed you, you could see one place and they could see the other um, we don't understand this, but here are those two compartments of, of the Old Testament for the dead, paradise and Hades. In verse 24, and he cried out, the rich man cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue. For I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received good things, and likewise, Lazarus, bad things. But now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. And again, this is not saying that, the message is not that, that, uh, well, if you're poor, you get into heaven, and if you're rich, you go to hell. No, this is telling us that Lazarus was a, was a man of faith, even though he was poor and had nothing in this world. But the rich man, he, he, he did not trust God, did not believe in him, did not, and therefore he now is in Hades in this agony where he's feeling some pain. And then Abraham says, verse 26, and besides all this between us and you, There is a great chasm fixed. So there's a great chasm fixed between the two places. In order that those who wish to come over from here to you may not be able to. 
that none may cross over from there to us. So Abraham's basically saying, no one in paradise could ever go down to Hades with a place of torment in the, in the Old Testament here. And no one in Hades can come up and cross over to paradise. There's this big chasm. And then, and then we come to uh, verse 27. And he said then, I beg you, Father, Father Abraham, that you send him, Lazarus, to my father's house. In other words, send him back from the dead. For I have five brothers that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he, the rich man, said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And look what Abraham finally concludes with. But he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. And we know Jesus rose from the dead. But people uh, knew he had risen from the dead, but they still didn't believe it in that day. But here we have a picture of the two places, okay? And so the idea here to understand, and let's go, let, let's go back then to 1 Peter quickly. Uh, back to 1 Peter chapter 3. So verse 19 in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. And so some Bible scholars, which I agree with, believe that, that this, uh, this prison is the place of the dead, where the, the spirits, uh, uh, the, the, the angels... Are, are some of the angels who were wicked and, and created and, and did much sin in the book of Genesis in the days of Noah. We read about it. It's, they, were, they were titled the sons of God, small g. And that, I believe, with other good Bible scholars, is that is the uh, definition used for fallen angels back then fallen angels but there are other passages of scripture that talk about these angels being already in a place of uh, chained in a prison waiting the final judgment which will be the lake of fire in revelation and uh listen to jude chapter 6 verse 7 well actually turn to it real quick because it's better i think maybe if you just see it for yourself so that you get an understanding. Turn to the book of Jude, <clears throat> verse 6. Book of Jude, if you're looking for it, it's the book right before Revelation. The last book there in the Bible. Verse 6 of Jude. There's only one chapter. And angels who did not keep their own domain. In other words, they didn't stay in the spiritual domain but abandon their proper abode. And again, we read about that in Revelation chapter, uh, in Genesis chapter 6, where the angels took, allowed themselves to, into, to take the human form on earth so that, that they would be like human form 
And they were actually, somehow, we don't understand it, were able to procreate. And they took the women of, uh, of the days of Noah and had children with them. And then, of course, from there we read about that's where the Nephilim came from, the great giants and the evil men of the days of Noah came from those, uh, from, from, from those fallen angels having relations with, with human women. And, but it says here, these angels did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode. He, God, has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. God's keeping them, those angels that, that sinned back then, in the days of Noah, he kept, he's keeping them right now in eternal bonds under darkness for a future judgment. So they're chained somewhere, and it is believed that they, they, they are chained in Hades, in, the, in an area of darkness where this, this rich man we found was. And so we find that, that, that here in Jude, these angels are mentioned. And so the, the, the thought is, again, what Peter is trying to say, that Jesus went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. And that word spirits, back here in 1 Peter, that word in the Greek is the word that has always been used for, to describe angels. Whereas when Peter would use words to describe a, a, a human that, was, that had died, he uses the word soul. So the word spirits with a small s, I believe, refers to the 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 evil spirits, the, the demons that had fallen and were now chained from the days of Noah. But what, what did Jesus do after his death? Between his death and resurrection, according to this verse, we believe that he went into Hades. And what did he do? He proclaimed, and, he, and, and also I'm sure paradise could could he hear him too? So he proclaimed to both paradise and Hades. He made the proclamation to the spirits, but especially those angels in, in, in Hades. He made a proclamation. Well, it doesn't say what the proclamation is here. Peter never mentions what it is. But what would Jesus be proclaiming after he died, but he's about to rise from the dead? He, he most likely proclaimed to them, I am the victor. I have conquered death. My blood was shed for the sins of the world. And now that I have conquered death and hell, I hold the keys of eternal, eternal life. And he came down to show his victory through the cross and then spoke of his resurrection that was about to occur. So this is where we believe this this verse fits many of the good Bible teachers. Okay, so again, it's understanding. But Peter is what is what is Peter trying to do? Peter's trying to show Jesus Christ to the suffering saint, the persecuted saints, and to us today, who Jesus is, what Jesus did for us, and how powerful he was. And if you'll go back now to verse First uh, Peter, look, go back to verse Peter. Look at verse. 20 
Again, it speaks of the spirits. Proclaim to the spirits now in prison, look at verse 20, who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark. So that's why we know that the the word spirits here most likely refers to the fallen angels in the days of Noah because it says who were once disobedient as God was waiting patiently in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark. But now we go to the rest of it. Verse 20, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. And corresponding to that, now now Peter's going to make a transition concerning us and what what took place. Again, he pointed out Jesus was our once-for-all sacrifice. But he went and he, he proclaimed his victory over the enemy, over Satan, over the, spirit, uh, the, the, uh, the fallen angels, and, and over all things. And then uh, Peter is talking about Noah and that there were only eight persons, but how were they saved? They were brought safely through the water. And, to course, and corresponding to that, here is one of those other passive verses that has sent people off on a tangent and making up, add, adding to the gospel of by grace are you saved through faith. What do they add? Many churches, and maybe you grew up in one of these churches, is baptism, water baptism. And notice what Peter says here. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Oh boy, this is what the denominations, not just the Roman Catholic Church, but Protestant denominations, have taken and said, well, there it is. They take this verse, make a doctrine out of it, and say, well, we must believe in Jesus, and we must repent and be baptized, somehow by water. So if you don't get the baptism by water, you're not saved. And that's why for centuries you have infant baptism. And many denominations believe that when a child is baptized, if you bring a baby into the church, and, that, and they use the word baptism. Now, many churches do use the word baptism, will baptize the child, but they don't, but it really is, they use the word incorrectly because it really should be a baby dedication. And that's what we do here at our church. We do baby dedications. Uh, when a parent comes and says, I want a bit, we want to dedicate our baby to the Lord, our child to the Lord, we will do a baby dedication. But we don't use water. But, They've taken this verse and said, well, we're, so as soon as, as any baby is baptized, some of these denominations and the Catholics believe that, well, the person is automatically saved because they're saved through water baptism. But how do we know it's not, he's not talking about being saved through water baptism. It's the rest of the verses. Look at, uh, again, verse 21, the rest of verse 21. And corresponding to that, Baptism now saves you. But now he clarifies. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh. In other words, he's not talking about outward baptism, physical baptism in water. Physical water. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh. 
but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven and after after angels and authorities and powers have been subjected to him. There's that Jesus going into the prison and making the proclamation. He has authority and power. But there in verse 22, Peter makes it clear. He says, now corresponding to water baptism, physical baptism, there is the spiritual baptism, which is an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, I am baptized into Christ. You and I have been baptized through Christ. And uh, we won't take time to turn to it, but on your own. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. Paul wrote, For into one spirit we were all, does anybody know the next word? We were all baptized into one body. There is one spirit, one baptism. So, so Paul is talking about a spiritual baptism. Paul, Peter is talking about a spiritual baptism that each one of us experiences. And when does that happen? The moment I believe. The moment you and I were saved, we were baptized by the Holy Spirit, which means the Holy Spirit came into my, this body and baptized me spiritually so that he washed away my sins and I am clean before the Lord. And Jesus said, before he left this earth, as he was about to ascend to his Father in heaven, he said to his disciples in Acts chapter 1, he said to them, before he would send them out to go on all the world and preach the gospel, he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said it himself. And there it is, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's when a person is born again and they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There, again, this is, this is a very difficult, we've tried to go through this, a difficult passage to handle, but what, what should we take home with us from this? Take home that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. And he took my place, my sin upon himself, And therefore, no matter what suffering I must face in this life, I know that he is my Lord and my King. And I have been baptized into him through the Holy Spirit. I'm part of his body, the spiritual body of Christ. And no one can pluck me out of his hand. And so I belong to him. May we take this wonderful truth and may it encourage our hearts in the days ahead. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. Lord, for revealing once again your glorious truth, the truth of salvation and the glorious victory our Lord Jesus won through the cross and his resurrection. Thank you for saving us, Lord. Thank you for setting us apart. And thank you for raising us up to be your children, clothed in your righteousness. And thank you, Lord, that we have the blessed hope of eternal life. One day we will be with you. Thank you, Father, for your precious promises as we ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.